When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Friday, March 16th. I'm Chris Hurdy. Today, we're looking at a watershed moment for gun control back in the 90s and the ripple effect it had on today's gun debate. But first, the headlines. The House of Representatives easily passed a school safety bill, but it did not include any gun control measures. The bill would provide funding to show teachers and law enforcement how to handle mental health issues in order to, quote, identify and prevent threats, according to Speaker Paul Ryan. But Democrats were enraged that the bill didn't specifically address gun control. Congressman Steny Hoyer said, quote, This is a pretense that we are doing something while assuring the NRA that we aren't doing anything. Special counsel Robert Mueller has subpoenaed the Trump Organization for the first time as part of the probe into Russian meddling in the 2016 presidential election. This is the first time Mueller has asked for documents specifically related to Trump's business dealings with Russia. Trump warned in July that Mueller would be crossing a red line if he investigated his family finances unrelated to Russia. The subpoena appears to be inching close to that line. And... At a Missouri fundraiser on Wednesday, President Trump admitted to bluffing his way through a meeting with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, where he incorrectly said that the U.S. had a trade deficit with Canada. Here's what Trump had to say. I didn't even know. I had no idea. I just said you're wrong. According to the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative, the U.S. actually runs a trade surplus with Canada. And now, here's the news you won't get anywhere else. In retrospect, the early 90s were a watershed moment for the gun control movement. It was a point in time where a wave of advocacy crested, broke, and then receded. Vice Politics editor Harry Cheadle examined a pivotal event at the time, the California Street shooting, which galvanized gun control activism in a way that's kind of hard to imagine 25 years later. Here's Vice's Sophie Kazis speaking with Harry on the legacy of the California Street shooting and its effect on today's gun debate. Harry, you wrote about a mass shooting that happened in 1993 in San Francisco, known as the California Street Shooting. And this event became kind of a watershed moment in the fight for gun control. Tell us about that event and what made it so significant. Well, what happened in 1993 was a disturbed man with no real apparent motive uh, walked into a corporate law office and started shooting. Um, He had some semi-automatic pistols that he had outfitted with something called a Hellfire trigger to make them fire more like automatics. 
and he ended up killing eight people and injuring another six. So while this wasn't an especially deadly mass shooting, just if you look at the history of mass shootings in the United States, um, it was notable because it happened in a place where you really wouldn't expect a shooting to occur. And also he used these weapons that uh, to many people at the time and, and, and now as well, it's not clear why anyone would need to own those for a legitimate purpose that wasn't killing people. And it also affected a group of people in um, the legal community in San Francisco who were really unusually able to pursue reform and actually actually get things done. Yeah. So what did they get done? What happened after this shooting and what changes did we see? Well, it was similar to what happened after the Parkland shooting in Florida recently um, and and what happened after the Newtown massacre, which is that survivors and family members of victims immediately started to push for, for gun control measures. And they had an ally in California Senator Dianne Feinstein, who was already sympathetic to gun control, but um, really became their advocate in Congress. And it also became important to President Bill Clinton as well. And it sort of became part of a larger push to, one, institute background checks on gun purchases, which was something called the Brady Bill. And that passed in 1993. But then the tougher uh, political battle was the assault weapons ban, which would be a federal ban on guns like the guns that the gunmen used in the shooting. And and that's what uh, they were really pushing for. And that's what they eventually got in 1994. So the effects of assault weapons ban in 1994 are still being debated today. A lot of analysis uh, says it had a, a limited positive effect on gun violence numbers. And some people say that was a result of all these compromises that had to be made. You know, it it comes from how do you define what the words assault weapon mean? And another compromise that was a a major factor was the ban actually was set to expire in 2004, and it wasn't renewed. So today, there is no federal assault weapons ban. So today, after the Parkland shooting in Florida, we are sort of right back in that same debate where gun control advocates and teenagers across the country are fighting for gun control measures, including an assault weapons ban. What makes today different from the 90s when an assault weapons ban actually did pass? So there are a few major differences. Uh, The first one is that back then the Democrats controlled the government. So it was much easier to pass liberal legislation. And this assault weapons ban would almost certainly not have happened if Bill Clinton himself hadn't pushed for it and told his legislative aides to push for it. So that's one difference. Um, Another difference is that Congress is much more partisan these days and there are um, fewer Republicans who would even consider voting for any kind of gun control legislation because some Republicans did vote for gun control measures in the 90s. And and these these days, that's not the case. And there are fewer pro-gun Democrats as well. So those are two major factors. And, and I would say a, a, a third factor is that the country as a whole is also more partisan and these debates are more fraught with with partisanship and anger and and bad feeling. And um, it's very difficult 
to get anything done. Even after the Newtown shooting a few years ago, when there was a real substantial push for some fairly modest gun control legislation at the federal level, that ended up failing. And Barack Obama was like visibly upset on, on television after that. And is there any difference between the NRA's influence and sort of politicians' relationship to or fear of upsetting the NRA today versus the 90s? I think the NRA has become a much more pro-Republican group. For a long time, it did support some Democrats, but now I think there's only one Democrat that it gives money to. And the NRA has become much more involved in culture war issues. You know, it doesn't even seem to be about guns anymore sometimes, um, if you look at some of their advertising. So in, in that respect, I think they've become much more influential on the Republican side and perhaps also less influential on the Democratic side. And so, so the net result, I think, is that Republicans don't want to go up against NRA and they don't want to go up against gun voters generally. And so they have a very little incentive to support any piece of gun control legislation. In 1994, when the assault weapons ban was passed, it was actually rolled into a larger sort of tough on crime bill that not only included gun control measures, but it also included putting more cops on the streets and building new prisons and imposing much harsher penalties for crimes. And today, that bill and that tough-on-crime mentality is very controversial and has been highly criticized for its devastating effect on communities of color and its contribution to mass incarceration. Can you talk about the effects of that larger bill and sort of how the packaging and framework of gun control was then versus now and how that matters? Well, that's another major difference between the early 90s and today, because back then, people were really legitimately worried about high crime rates. And it was a it was a national issue that was talked about constantly. These days, you'll hear Trump talk about crime sometimes, but crime rates and violent crime rates are down. And, and that's been a, sort of a historical trend over the over the last several years, um, over a decade. And so people were really worried about that. And when gun control was framed as part of a effort to make America safer, it may have played better politically. And that that crime bill is is very controversial now, especially in liberal circles, because it was such a tough on crime bill that it resulted in a lot more people going to prison and is one of the factors that contributes to the huge prison population in the United States. So in, in many respects, liberals look back on that crime bill as a failure and, and misguided. Let's look back at the California street shooting and California in general. Right now, California has some of the strongest gun control measures of any state in the country. So give us some stats and, and talk about that sort of state level strategy as opposed to fighting for gun control on a national level, which has proven to be very difficult. Strategy is the right word. Um, the organization founded by the families of California street victims has really pursued state but also local laws on gun control. And they've sort of worked their way from the bottom up, you know, passing laws 
at local jurisdictions that are very pro-gun control and then expanding those out to the state of California. And that's that's led gun deaths in California to decline since the 90s. They were they were very high at one point and now they're one of the states with the lowest gun death rate in the country. And they're still they're still trying to pass even stricter gun control measures. A, a recent one is one that would restrict the sale of ammunition and require ammunition purchasers to go through background checks. And a, a lot of gun owners, I should say, really don't like this stuff. Uh, and this mirrors efforts at the state level by pro-gun advocates to make it easier to carry a gun, to expand the places where you can carry a gun, and to resist any kind of gun control. So a lot of a lot of the real in the trenches fighting on this issue is happening at the state level right now as opposed to the federal level where there's been a deadlock. What do you think would need to happen today in order to pass an assault weapons ban or other gun control measures that were able to pass in the 90s? You describe a kind of confluence of factors that came together back then. Do you think that that could happen again now following Parkland? It's very difficult to imagine that um, significant legislation will be passed at the federal level. Firstly, you need to have Democrats in power in order to pass gun control laws because Republicans are not interested in that. I, I think Trump made some noises about gun control measures at one point, but he's backed off of that. Uh, you really need a Democratic president and you need Democrats who are really, really committed to gun control as a top priority issue. And so even if Democrats retook power in 2020, would they favor gun control legislation over health care legislation, over uh, tax or infrastructure legislation? It's not really clear. I think where gun control advocates can draw hope is, again, at the state level. After the Parkland shooting, Florida did pass into law a gun control measure, maybe not as strong as some advocates would like it to be. But it does raise the age for purchases of some guns, for instance. And it's being challenged in court right now. It's not clear how that is going to shake out. But activism at levels below the federal level can have an impact. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it's important to note that just yesterday, a school safety bill was passed and it had absolutely no gun control measures in it. And so just sort of to add on to to your point at how uninterested the current administration is in actually making gun control real and how the changes that we're seeing have been on the state level. Absolutely. And it's also important to note that it's it's sometimes very difficult to know what the effect of a major event like the Parkland shooting will be. These things sort of ripple outwards for years and years, like the the organization founded by the California Street families, you know, is still pushing for gun control measures today. And we could be seeing something like that with the Parkland students. They could be gun control advocates decades from now, and they could have had achieved some real accomplishments by then. Uh, I think it's it's... If the question is, will we see meaningful gun control at the federal level soon? The answer is probably no. But in the future, you know, who knows how these events will sort of snowball. To read Harry's full article, go to vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.